This morning we are continuing in our series in the book of Galatians, talking about the amazing grace of God. The gospel, how important it is. Dave, it sounds like you're thinking about the gospel with your neighbors on the right and on the left and thinking about those different five places that our lives intersect with others. Where if we work, shop, eat, play, and live, right? Trying to get on mission and trying to find out what we can do and how we can be a better part of what God wants us to do in our community. That we don't live in isolation. We don't live in a fishbowl where we can't get out. God's placed us in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, right where he wants us to be so that we can make an impact on those people. The job you have, your home, your address, none of that's an accident. The sovereign God of the universe has placed you there. As we talk this morning in the book of Galatians again, in Galatians chapter 1, about this idea of the grace of God and how the gospel, as Paul is encouraging the those in the Galatian church and those in the Galatian region to be contending for their faith. He's a little frustrated with them, if you didn't gather that from last week. He's a little frustrated with this church and gets into that a little more this morning as we look in, starting in verse 6, at the frustrations that Paul has with them. Do you ever wonder about our culture and our community that we live in and how we get sometimes frustrated with it, thinking it can't get any worse. Anybody else there with me? We, we see laws that are being passed in New York and places that are being about now that it's, it's, they want to make it legal to kill a baby after birth, not even up just to the point of birth, not even just in the third trimester or late into the second trimester, but now the baby's born and, well, the doctors and mother will now make a decision about whether this life is valid. Man, that hurts. i got to think it hurts God as well. We see all the different laws that are being passed and how they're trying to infringe on our rights and free speech. And, but you know, none of those things are guaranteed us in Scripture. We, we, we are frustrated that as Americans, right? Because those are our rights. They're endowed to us in the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. We have these rights, but we don't see those rights necessarily explicitly laid out in scripture those are things we take for granted as americans our style of government is not guaranteed us think about the early church and what they had to go through i mean they were living under this emperor that people had to worship when you go into the cities as a vendor you're going in there to sell your goods you had to make an offering at the different idols and the different temples and the different if you wanted to be allowed to sell your stuff in the in town and if you were now a believer and you had to make that choice going into town, do I lay an offering at the image of the emperor or I just try to sneak by? You know, their livelihood was being affected by their faith. Ours, we are blessed to live in a country that we have the freedom of religion, we have the freedom to come and worship together and not have to worry about some stormtrooper batting, breaking down the doors outside. That's our freedom. Take joy in that. Our friends from over over in China, their churches are being torn down. Steeples being dropped to the ground because they're in their worshiping holy God. It could be a lot worse. As, as bad as it gets getting in our country and as bad as it is in our communities, it could be worse. We have the truth. We have the gospel. 
We have the message of good news to take to the nations, to all of those in our communities. And that's what Paul is encouraging. And all throughout the New Testament, the writers are continually encouraging people, stay on task, stay with the truth. Don't let the false teachings get in. In Jude chapter 3, it, 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 Jude verse 3 rather, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. That's the brother of Jesus, Jude. Saying, I wanted to write to you about our common faith and to encourage you, but I'm finding myself having to write to you about something a little more serious. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Peter writes, he says, But built in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason of the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Encouraging them and challenge them, said, I know you're going through some struggles. I know you're going through some trials. Be ready to make an answer. Be ready to stand up for what you know to be true. Because we're always being asked to compromise. To always being asked to accept falsehood. Being asked to accept teachings and lifestyles that are not biblical. And that's what the pressure the culture puts on us. If we want to be accepted by men... that we won't be accepted. Our message will not be accepted. And so John, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 here, Paul writes, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. We talked about last week, how these Judaizers were coming into the churches and they were teaching now, uh, yes, it's good to have faith in Christ. It's good that you come together and worship. But on top of your faith in Christ, you also need to do, do, do. Specifically, they wanted all the believers to now get circumcised. And said, if you don't get circumcised, you are not really a part of the faith, the body of Christ. There's a, a church in our in our in our a denomination that believes that you have to be baptized to really, truly be saved. That you have to speak in tongues if you want to truly, truly get saved. That faith in Christ is good, but you have to do these other things on top of it to really get the full measure of what God wants for you. To really get saved. To really have Christ living within you. And the Bible doesn't talk that way at all. In fact, Paul, in, in his thing, he's, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. And you saw, we saw the video a second ago about the Greeks and how they sent, somebody keeps dinging me, how the Greeks sent heralds and armies have fought for years and they have fought and fought and fought for years to fight these different battles. And, and who are some of the most despised people in an army? If you're on your, say the U.S. Army is fighting against whoever, say, say Germany, World War II. In the U.S. Army, who are some of the most, who would be one of the most despised people there? Somebody who had turned and gone to the other side. 
a spy, a double agent, somebody who had turned on their own nation, right? Who deserted their comrades, someone who deserted those who they were fighting with and gone to the other side. They didn't just go AWOL and leave their troop, they leave their friends. They actually deserted and turned from their peers and fought against them. Paul is using that same word in talking about those who turn from the true gospel, the Galatians. He says, I'm astonished that you so quickly desert. When you turn from the true gospel, he's saying God sees it not just as teaching something different, but you are deserting, you are going fighting for the enemy. When you turn from the true gospel, when you begin adding things to the gospel, when you begin taking things away that are necessary for faith, when you begin adding and doing anything else, Jesus plus anything else, you begin fighting for the enemy. See, the faith that we have in Christ is so simple. It's so pure. It's just simple faith and trust in what God has done for you, what Christ did for us on the cross. As the video says, he did for us what we couldn't do so we could now have from him what we don't deserve, right? There was no way I could please God aside from Christ. And when I begin adding to that, adding requirements or adding things to that faith, say, if you want the favor of God in your life, you have to do this, do this, do this, do this. And only then can you find true favor with God. When the reality is, none of us can find favor with God outside of what Christ has done for us. We were born outside of the favor of God, right? We could not do anything of ourselves. I could not be good enough to, find, to make God show his favor on me and say, welcome into my heaven. I couldn't be good enough. And Paul says, you so quickly deserted. After him spending time with them, him spending time with the Galatians and the churches there, teaching them and training them and teaching them and training them and pouring himself into them, he said, how can you so quickly desert? Think of the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, Moses leads the children of Israel up to the foot of Mount Horeb and he climbs up into the mountain to go receive from God the stone tablets. And he's up there for a while. And God says to Moses, Moses, you better get down there because they have done something that is an abomination. In fact, I'm going to wipe them out and start again with you. Moses had not been gone very long before they came to Aaron and said, Aaron, Moses is gone. He's our leader. We don't know what's going on. There's, there's fire and smoke in the mountains, and maybe he's dead. So we need you to build us a God. Here's all our gold. Here's our jewels. Here's all of the stuff that we have. We want you to build us a God so that we might worship. And they built the golden calf. Moses had been gone that long. <laughs> Paul had been gone that long. Why do we think that just because our leaders are out of our sight or the, those are, who are spiritual leaders or those who are teachers are out of our sight that we can now revert back to the old lifestyle? 
well, I don't know. and I, I don't have anybody there keeping me accountable. Moses isn't there watching. Like when you're raising kids, right? Well, Mom and Dad don't see me getting into the cookie jar and then Mom and Dad walk around the corner. What are you doing? I'm getting cookie for you, right? I had my kids, one of my kids told me that one time. After they heard Bill Cosby talk about it. I said, yeah, that, that worked for Bill Cosby, not for you. And John, John writes this in 3 John verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Right? Here's John writing back to people that he'd been discipling from the Isle of Patmos back to the churches. He says, what brings me joy is to hear that you are continuing to walk in the truth. You've not abandoned the truth. You've not abandoned the gospel. You are still pressing forward. You're pressing on, pressing on, pressing on to what God has called you to do. Billy moved away about a year, almost a year ago now. He gets reports from our spies here on the front row. Right? And I'm sure he said, how's the church doing? How's the church doing? What if they came and said, you will never believe the church has now exploded. They're excited. They're going out. They're reaching their communities. And they are pressing on with the truth and the message that you led them in for 36 years. What a joy that would bring to his heart as your former pastor, right? Knowing that the church he led, the church that God called him to, the church that he poured himself out over, was continuing in the mission of God. Continuing to reach your community. Continuing to do. But on the other hand, what if the report came back, well... Everybody's kind of falling into sin. Drew's falling into drugs and alcohol. He stopped leading worship. You get a hold of your grandson. That's not true, is it, Drew? No. That's good. That was almost Paul's, the, oh, the letdown in Paul's, when he's writing to the Galatians. How can you so quickly desert the truth? How can you so quickly abandon the truth? We come together once a week, right? And everybody puts on a good face on Sundays. We all wear our, we all wear our masks. I'm a good little Christian. I come to church. I sing the songs. I read my Bible. Yes, praise God. Yes, brother, sister, brother, sister. Yes, yes, yes. But then there's Monday to Saturday when nobody is watching. You're by yourself at work. You buy yourself on your computer, you buy yourself on the golf course, you buy yourself at the restaurants, you buy yourself out with your friends. Nobody else is watching. How do we live? Or do we so quickly abandon the truth that we come together with on Sundays during the week? See, the life, the gospel that we believe, the gospel that we accepted, the gospel, the love of Christ that infills us and indwells within us, should exist the same on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday as it does on Sunday morning from 10 to 11. There should be no difference. One of our biggest frustrations in, in ministering overseas was seeing people come together on Sunday morning and here's my faith on Sunday, but then Monday through Saturday was a totally different person. It's like, really? Have you so quickly abandoned and deserted what you were just doing? Sunday morning. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. 
But their turning away was not hopeless. He said, how could you so quickly turn away? It's a present, present progressive verb, which is like you're something you're continually doing. You're moving that direction. Right now, I am preaching. I have not preached. I am speaking. I am continuing to speak. I'm continuing to move. So these, these believers, these, this, the church here in Galatia, they were continually turning, which means they could turn back. There was still hope. So in Paul's writing to them, he's saying, there is time still for you to get back to the truth, to where you need to be. You have not yet abandoned the full gospel. There is still time and there is hope. Many times when I'm, I preach or you hear other preachers or hear other speakers, a lot of what we do, because we know that 30, 40 minutes is hard to totally absorb everything I'm saying, though I have no idea why you can't absorb everything I'm saying in 30 minutes. It's very simple. I'm a very simple guy. But I understand. Shh, from the peanut gallery. I understand that there might be one or two or three nuggets that just pop out at you, and you take those with you hopefully through the week. Those are my nudges. Those are my nudges. That hope that you take one or two or three things that are said, and you go through your week, and you go, oh, I need to be reminded. I needed to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of that. It's like when I'm letting my dog out in the wintertime to go to the bathroom, and she sticks her nose out there and goes, it's cold. I nudge her out the door. Well, I nudge. Just a gentle nudge. It's cold out there, I know. I don't have to nudge her to the food bowl. I've no, I do not have to nudge her to the food bowl. You set that down and boom, she's there. And she's absorbing everything in that food bowl. I hope and pray that as we, I nudge you from time to time that you are taking these little nuggets and you apply them and you think through them through the week. So that you are, as you are turning, you are turning back to Christ. You are turning in the direction to follow Christ. You are turning and thinking more about eternity than you are the present. You're thinking more about the thousands and thousands and thousands of years we have left to spend with God than you do about the next 30, 40, 50, 80 years on this world. Comparatively speaking, there's a lot more time to be spent there than there is here, Right? So what is Paul going on? He's talking about the false teachers here in verse 8. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you, let him be accursed. He's talking to the Judaizers, those who came and they said, it's Jesus plus, it's Jesus plus, it's Jesus plus. Anything you believe is fine. They didn't deny the Messiah. They didn't deny the resurrection. But it's, that's not enough. Let him be accursed. Verse 9, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Twice he says that. For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you know Paul's story, you know how he was on the road to Damascus. And how, as a one who was persecuting the church, 
Jesus appears to him in the sky. A bright light blinds him. He says, why are you persecuting me? What do you mean? I'm, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these people. And Jesus says, no, if you're persecuting them, you're persecuting me. This is my church. These are my people. And Paul had a radical transformation. His life was turned around. And he went from a hater of the church, a persecutor of the church, to one who loves the church and loves the people of the church, and he loved Christ more than all, most of all. Here's a man who knew his Old Testament backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and could quote to you verse after verse after verse after verse. And now from where before he was judgmental of Jesus, now he saw Jesus in every passage. Now he saw Jesus reflected everywhere through the Old Testament. Now he saw Jesus as Jesus wanted him to be. See him. Remember, this is the story of Jesus. The whole book. All of it is valid. Satan is the great distorter. He wants us to take a verse, take a passage, take a little thing, and he wants to totally distort our view of who Jesus is. He wants to distort our view of faith. And if he can do that, he can, get us, he can bring us to confusion and division. Satan hates us. You know that? He hates your my guts. He wants to see us fail. He wants to see us discouraged. He wants to see us fall on our knees and go, it's over. I can't be good enough. I can't do good enough. I can't, I can't, I can't. You're right, you can't. Only Jesus can. And Jesus did it for you. See, Satan, as he brings confusion and discouragement, he wants us to focus on these molehills of theology. He wants us to focus on these little things that distract us and get us our minds off of the work of the Holy Spirit that God wants to do. In seminary, cemetery, we were so good at talking about pre-trib versus post-trib. Is Jesus going to come before the tribulation? Is he going to come after the tribulation? Yes, he's coming. Is he, is he a Calvinistic or is he Arminian? He's both. <laughs> he loves us. God is sovereign. We have a part in that. I don't know how all that works together in God's theology, but it works together somehow. Do we use hymnals or do we use a projector? Remember when that argument was going around for years. Do, we, do women, do we wear dresses or slacks? Is the, which, one's, which one's right? Guy on the, on the platform, do we wear jeans on the platform or should we wear, all wear pants? You know, the... Do we wear brown walls or purple walls? What do we do? These things that, this, that really have no impact on eternity, these little things, these molehills have no impact on eternity, we get so focused on the little things right now. Your neighbor is going to spend somewhere in eternity. He's going to be alive somewhere either in the presence of God, rejoicing at the, in the presence of God, walking hand in hand in the presence of God, or he's going to be alive in hell, suffering, separated from the Holy God for all of eternity. This past week, our dear friend Pete passed away, for those who didn't hear. He is now rejoicing at the feet of our Savior lifting up his hands in praise and prayer, honoring the one who deserves it. Two weeks ago, Melba 
What is it about this side of the room? Pete sat here, Melba sat back there. Migration's going to happen, I see. <laughs> Two weeks ago, Melba passed away. And she is now pain-free. Her liver cancer is healed. And she's sitting and worshiping at the feet of our Savior. Because both of these, their faith was strong. Their faith endured. And they lived it out every single day, Monday through Sunday. It was not a once a week, one hour a week thing. It was a week, every day of the week thing. They understood that there's an eternity that we're all going to have to answer for. Acts 15, this question came up. Minor molehills of theology is as Paul and, 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 and them are reaching Gentile believers and they go back to Jerusalem and they're meeting with the council there and they're saying, here's what God is doing among the Gentiles there. And people are getting saved and they're making an impact in their community and they're doing great works. And, and, but what do we need to tell them? They're, they're being told that they need to be circumcised. They need to be told they need to follow the Mosaic, the Mosaic law. They're, told, they're being told they need to do all these things. What do you as the church leaders say? Very wisely. They said this. They wrote back this letter in Acts 15, 23 and following. It says, Brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same thing by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality, which you yourselves, and if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Essentially, live a holy life. Live a holy life. Live your life in such a way before the unbelievers. Live your life in such a way in this world that there is a marked difference. When you go to work, can your coworkers tell that there's a difference in your life? When you go to the store, can you, can those around you tell there's a difference? When you get stopped by a police officer because you've been speeding too fast, can he tell there's a difference in your response versus somebody else? I'm not saying you have to say, Mr. Officer, Mr. Coworker, do you know that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? But I'm saying there should be an attitudinal, attitudinal, attitudinal difference in the way we act around the world. That we may have an opportunity to share at some point. And if not you, then somebody else. Because we're all planting seeds. Focusing on the extra things that keep them from being productive and the primary goal is reaching our communities with the gospel of Christ. That's what Satan wants to do, to keep us so focused on these little things circumcision, baptism, pre-trib, post-trib, all these little tiny points of theology that we can fight about. One of some of our greatest times overseas for 20 years was worshiping 
with others that we didn't exactly agree with theologically. Not major differences, minor differences. They hear in the other times in churches, it'd be like, well, I can't fellowship with you because we disagree on the color of the walls. We disagree on the style of music. We disagree on this. We disagree on that. We disagree on whatever it is. And we let those things so identify us. And Satan's got to be laughing his head off. Behind every false teaching is the false teacher, Satan. And he lives to bring confusion and to lock people in spiritual bondage as a result. The next thing it does when false teachings get in and we begin compromising the gospel is it actually reverses the gospel. The teachers that came to Galatia were teaching this false gospel. They ultimately taught that by being saved by our good works instead of for good works, that we, that's, why the, that's how people got saved. In fact, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for good works, for good works, not by good works. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which what? Which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. See, God saved you. Not to make us better people. God saved you. Not so you can come here and put on a good face. God saved you. God redeemed you. Because he has a plan for you. doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or 93 or 96 or 98 or 104. I read this week that the oldest woman in the world is 116 years old. 116 years old, she still has a mission that God wants her to accomplish if she would submit to him. It doesn't matter. See, God has called us to something greater above and beyond ourselves. One of the greatest, one of the greatest, one of the modern-day distortions of the gospel, modern distortions of people's minds is something called moralistic therapeutic deism at the mouthful that will make your tubum nubum if you say it too fast moralistic therapeutic deism basically says that one simply needs to believe in a god but not that such a god might be involved in a person's life which is deism okay you can believe in that god but god's separate he's not a part of what's going on and that they feel that one needs to be good enough, moralistic, in order to feel good, therapeutic. Okay? In other words, we need to believe in a God, but that God's not really part of our lives. But in doing so, that's going to make us live our lives in such a way that we feel good about ourselves. God did not save us. God did not redeem us to make us feel good about ourselves. And as nice as that thinking may be, 
It does not reflect the gospel of Christ. How many of you know some moral people around you? People are just good people, right? I do. My neighbors, family members, guy, people I went to school with, they're just good people, right? You could say, oh, there's a very moral person. But what about them? They haven't killed anybody. They don't steal. They, they pay all their taxes that are due. They don't try to cheat. They, they, they don't go too far above the speed limit. They do what's required. They get involved in community. They're just good moral people, right? What about them? A Buddhist is a nice moral person. Mormons are nice moral people. response is this. This is not original with me. He says, I'm not denying that these are moral people. I'm not denying that people who follow other religions can be moral people. Here's what I do deny, that morality can get you to heaven. See, God didn't call us. He didn't save us to become moral people. He didn't save us and redeem us so that we could just be, live good lives. Morality can keep us out of jail, but it can't keep us out of hell. Living a good life is good in this world and it's the best you can hope for if, you're, if you don't know Christ to be a good moral person. You can stay out of prison. You can stay out of jail. You can be at peace with your neighbors. But you cannot live at peace with God just being a moral person. You need a Jesus. You need a God who loves you to die for you, to receive that. So then, What do we share with people? If Paul is encouraging them to get back to the true gospel, to get back to the truth, to stop abandoning what you first believed, what did we first believe? Number one, the true gospel is this. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 18 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. Not even one. Not that little baby, not that old person who lived a moral life. There is none righteous. Verse 11 follows that, says, There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery in their way of peace. They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is the world we live in. Those are the people around you. That is what God views a person's, that's how he views their morality. That moral person is just that. To God. Because they have had no change inside. Romans 3, 21-25 says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law of the prophets bear witness through it, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We we know these verses. We we grew up in these verses. You went to Awana, you grew up in Sunday school. A lot of us know these verses, but we've forgotten them. And verse 24 follows that, and he says, And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation or substitution, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. 
And God's forbearance on us, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. He was willing to overlook our sins, so he came 2,000 years ago for us. He saw us in 2019. He saw us in 2018. He saw us in, in 1969, a little stinking little baby boy born on January 9th. That, he was gonna, that little baby boy was going to need a Savior because there is none righteous. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8 But God showed His love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That verse amazes me. That verse makes me fall on my knees in love before my Savior. Because while I was still playing on the playground, and I was a good little kid, my mom calls me perfect. Ask my kids, they'll tell you, yeah, uh, Mimi says David, Dad's perfect. When I was this perfect little boy, God says, you weren't perfect enough. And while I was still in my sins, I'd never chosen God. God died for me. Romans 10, 9-13 says this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you may be saved. Not you could be saved. You will. That's a legal term. You will be saved. That's awesome. Because there's no doubt there. When I call on the name of the Lord, when I say, God, I was, I'm, as a seven-year-old little boy, when I say, God, I need you. I don't want to go to hell. I sat behind that pole and I'll, I asked Jesus to come in my heart because of fire insurance. I didn't want to live in hell. I didn't want to be tortured and live down there for all of eternity. So my whole intention, the reason why I got saved, the reason why I accepted Jesus the first, that very first time, was because I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't know the implications. I didn't know that, as, that he was going to send his Holy Spirit to live within me. I didn't know that he was going to become the substitution for my sins. I didn't know all those theological terms. I simply knew I needed a Savior to keep me out of the other place. And I said, God, whatever it takes, I'm going to commit my life to you. And he says, you will be safe. Verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 13, he goes on, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not difficult, people. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him we have obtained access by faith into his grace, which we've been talking about, in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope and glory of God. This is the message. This is the gospel we're to take to all those intersections of our lives where we work, shop, eat, play, and live. That is the message we take to all nations. This nation, the one on the north of us, the one to the south of us, one 8,000 miles away to the one that lives next door to you. That is the message of the gospel. There's nothing in there about Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus plus. 
It says, you believe and you trust. And you can have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through any of our actions. Then the question is, Romans 10, 14 says this, how will they call on him who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's not talking about the preacher, the pastor. That is the job of every believer in this room. Every believer. To take that gospel, to take that message around the world in those intersections of life where you workshop, eat, play, and live, to take that message, take that truth, to take that, share the love of Christ, to learn about pharmaceutical stuff, to learn about the Teamsters, to learn about fishing, to learn about NASCAR, to learn about the Raiders. If you have a neighbor that loves the Raiders, are you willing to sacrifice? And I'm not saying wave the flag. I mean, there are limits. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to share truth with those that God has brought into your midst? Have you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute? The grace of God, the love of God, we've shared here this morning that truth is the gospel. I'd be remiss if I didn't Ask a simple question, where are you in relation to your relationship with God? Where are you in your relationship with God? You heard the truth, the verses from God's word are there. Has it made a difference and a change in your life? Or are you living that moralistic, therapeutic, deistic dream saying, God, I believe in you, but yeah, you don't really have a part in my life. This morning, I want to ask you, have you committed your life to Christ for the first time? Have you received the gift of God? Has he come in and has he changed you and transformed you? Have you done it for fire insurance? Have you done it because you know you're a sinner and that sin's going to keep you far from God? This morning, there may be somebody in here who's never committed their lives to Christ. And you'd say, Pastor, that's me. I've been living that moralistic, therapeutic, deistic dream where yeah, I know there's a God, but I didn't want to answer to him. And this morning, I want to give you opportunity to receive Christ. to pray and receive Christ as your Savior. If that's you, repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've been living my life for myself and I'm ready to submit and give my life over to you. To follow through and to follow you. God, I give it all. I don't know the details, but I give my life to you. And I receive the gift of your salvation that you're offering to me this morning. 